Dear listener, welcome to your favorite New Life program. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangin. Fred Bill is on standby with the hot segment. After Bill, we'll be having Brother Ian Mosse joining us with the Bible segment. And today's topic is about the power to overcome. But first, let us listen to Kurasini Church Choir with the song Namwandama Buana. Welcome back, dear listener. It's now time for the health segment. Join me as I welcome Fred Bill Otien.
believe that everyone of us has come across a rude teenager. As you all know, teenage years are very challenging. Teenagers want to be free than ever before. At this point, they are often less obedient and tend to rebel against rules and orders. This makes them rude to their parents, siblings, and other people. Teenagers may sound very confident when they try giving some ideas to the family. If you do not understand them, then this can irritate us. We have to see these teenagers as a relatively inexperienced person struggling to become an adult. This is why we need to be patient and supportive to them. Psychology say that it is common for us to take sides against teenagers when they get into trouble. They suggest that they need an advocate or someone who will understand their situation and try to help them. We do not have to condone misbehavior, but in difficult situations, parents should try to see to the justifying circumstances and provide aid and hope. Listener, look back and remember your times as a teenager. Most of us may have felt lonely and clumsy at times. We could have felt lucky and happier if we got some people who are patient to us, who loved us, and who saw past our weaknesses. That is why we have to do the same to our teenagers. In other situations, teenagers can make strange statements with boldness. The problem we make as parents or as older people is trying to react to their arrogance and misinformation. But if we understand them, then we may react in a different way. Humbleness and explanations will make them realize their wrong behaviors. Sometimes they may demand freedom to do foolish things. Don't be tempted to criticize them, but first try to understand them because growth starts with understanding. Answer them humbly and try to make them understand that the things they are demanding may not help them. Understanding teenagers does not mean that you agree with whatever they ask for. We can understand their interests but still resist the conclusion. Start creating cooperations with them by using right words and attitude. This will make them feel cared for and loved. Therefore, let us talk about their concerns and see if we can find some of the solutions. At times all that we need is a gentle answer to calm a rebellious and rage teenager. Lastly, teenagers is a time of storm and strife and therefore bumps and jars in the process of growing up. But when we are patient and understanding, the teen years can be a time of growth and closeness unlike anything that came before. That brings us to the end of our issue today, which was about how to deal with a rude teenager. Until next time, I've been your presenter, Fred Billy Otin. Welcome back, dear listener. I hope that you're enjoying the program. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. For your views, comments, or questions about the program, kindly write to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Or drop an email at awrnairobi at eku.adventist.org. Let us now have an item from Kurasini Church Choir entitled, Kazini Yako.
It is now time for the Bible segment. Join me as I invite Brother Ian Karibu. Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to our study today. I want to believe that Christ has been your guide and His grace has been sufficient unto you. Our topic today is the power to overcome. I am your presenter, Ian Muse. Are you sometimes tempted not to pray or read your Bible in the morning? Probably every Christian has faced that temptation at least once. Is it possible to take the strength out of that particular temptation? Yes, it is. Thousands of people have established such a pattern of daily devotion that they don't even consider not taking the time to do it. The temptation no longer really exists for them. They have followed the counsel of Paul. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12 verse 21 Many temptations will cease to trouble us as we make good choice a habit. 
just as our brain is programmed to do wrong by constant yielding to compromise and defeat, so it may be programmed for victory through strong decision and right choices. Most of the terrible struggle will disappear from the experience as our nature adjusts to a program of habitual victory. Repetition of our practice finally turns into an automatic response, and the temptation to stay away from church no longer exists. So it can be with many other forms of temptation as we use our wills to establish victorious patterns of thought and action. Thus far we have uncovered some of the psychological tricks that Satan uses for trapping people into sin. We have also concluded that sin originates in the mind, which means that some very special attention must be given to protecting that vulnerable target of the enemy's attack. We have suggested placing specific guards before the avenues of the mind to shut out suspicious thoughts and desires. We have strongly recommended using the will to say no to the urges of the flesh. All of this counsel is good, but it is also useless if one truth is recognized. Now we move into the very heart of the temptation sin problem. All the processes of choice, free will, and decision are centered in the mysterious gray matter of the brain. Here is where Satan made his first attack on Eve. In order to make her sin, Satan had to influence her to open her mind to someone besides God. And the only way to reach her mind was through the emotional avenue of the senses. Thus, the Bible says that she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 Please note that the serpent was only able to corrupt her mind through the things she looked at and listened to. It was the appealing beauty of the fruit plus the hypnotizing sound of the flattering voice which finally led to Eve's downfall. It is only by utilizing the parts which are under our conscious control that Satan is able to defile the mind. In other words, we must give our consent before an act of sin can be committed. No one compelled Eve to leave her husband, walk to the tree, listen to the serpent, or eat the fruit. Every step was a volitional act in response to some sensory appeal. God had placed within Eve a holy will and a perfect sinless mind. Through these sanctified powers, a total separation from sin was always possible for her, yet she chose to disobey God. Our case is not quite so clear-cut and simple. We do not possess by nature the kind of pure and unpolluted mind that Eve had. We have all inherited the weak and compromised bodies and minds which disobedience produced in Adam and Eve. By yielding to Satan and choosing to obey him instead of God, Eve instantly lost her power to resist temptation. Her will became weakened, and the law of sin began to operate in her body to produce death. By that one deliberate act, she forever doomed herself and her offspring to a life of unremitting struggle and defeat. Had God not immediately introduced the plan of salvation in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the human race would have followed Eve's course of willful sin and would have died without hope. The promised seed of the woman offered hope for degenerate men to reserve the effect of Adam's and Eve's sin. To Christ, the death sentence could be lifted and the mind of enmity could be replaced by the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 Consider for a moment how Jesus made the way of escape from temptation for everyone who will accept it. He came as the world's second Adam and faced the enemy exactly like the first Adam had to meet him. And yet, of course, it was not exactly as Adam and Eve were tested. 
Jesus did not meet the tempter in a lovely garden surrounded by beauty. He struggled with Satan in a wild, desolate wilderness. The first Adam had access to every possible variety of luscious food, but Jesus was emaciated and weak from 40 days without food or drink. The first Adam faced the tempter in the strength of a perfect body, untainted by a single hereditary flaw. Jesus took humanity upon himself after 4,000 years of sin had weakened the human race. He accepted all the hereditary disadvantages and liabilities which sin had imposed upon the physical descendants of the first Adam. No one will ever fully understand the nature of that wilderness contest. Satan anticipated this confrontation for years and perhaps for centuries. In those three subtle temptations, he had combined all the psychological expertise that his mastermind could provide. In effect, Satan appealed to the same basic human emotions which had destroyed the first Adam, appetite, presumption, and position. But thank God, the deceiver could not find one thing in Christ to respond to his enticements. The second Adam utterly disarmed and defeated the devil in the very areas which had been so effective against the first Adam. We need to stretch our minds in an effort to comprehend this truth. Why was the great creator, God of the universe, willing to submit to the indignities of that agonizing experience? Had he not already proven his power over the evil one by casting him out of heaven? Why should he voluntarily place himself at such terrible disadvantage in the midst of another's conflict with Satan? The answer is simple. The devil had stolen away the masterpiece of God's creation. Mankind, whom God loved, had been kidnapped by the enemy, albeit willingly, and was held in captivity. Two things happened that day when Adam was conquered by Satan. First, he and his descendants immediately fell under the irrevocable sentence of death which God had pronounced upon transgressors of his law. Second, his entire moral nature became so traumatized and degraded by sin that it will never be possible for Adam or his posterity to refrain from sinning again and again. Do you see the problem? What could God do to release the creatures he loved from the devastating consequence of their sin? They were doomed to die, and they had forfeited the power to obey. Satan exulted. He reasoned that God himself could not get man back without changing his law or compromising his justice. At last, Satan had found a way to prove the charges he had pressed against God. In the presence of the holy angels, he had accused God of being unfair and requiring an impossible obedience. Dear listener, God has given us the assurance that we can overcome temptation, not by might or by power, but by his spirit. May you seek the Holy Spirit and make him your guide in the everyday journey. Till we meet again, stay blessed. Amen. Thank you for your time, dear listener. I was your presenter, Ian Musa. Dear listener, you have come to the end of our program. Thank you for keeping me company. For views, comments, or questions about the show, write to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Until next time, may our God be with you. I've been a presenter, Samuel Mangi.
Wa 
near the 